Good morning, everyone. I hope you're well. I want to say a thank you to Simon and Nevis Radio for giving me the chance to do Thought for the Day again. Now, I'm going to start with a confession, which they say is good for the soul. Now, I had totally forgotten until Friday night that I was doing Thought for the Day this week. But thankfully, I had some ideas about what I wanted to talk about. You see, we're almost at the end of the season that Christians called Lent. It's traditionally when we remember the fasting and temptation of Jesus in the desert. We used to fast through it rather seriously. Nowadays, many just give up something for 40 days. Although it is actually longer than 40 days, but Sundays don't count. I myself decided this year to take something up instead. I set myself a challenge of reading the last 40 or so chapters of the Bible, which is going to be done through reading one chapter a day. Now, reading the Bible is something that helps ground me and helps me to find reassurance and leading when things are good or when they're not. And it was this that gave me the idea for my theme this week. If you don't mind, I'd like to explore some of the Bible's less well-known parts. I'm fairly sure that, like me, most Christians have a few parts of the Bible that they're very familiar with. I know that I certainly have favourite passages that I like to read or preach on, and passages that I go to time and time again. If you were to see the Bible that I use most often, you would see that many parts of it are covered in notes and highlighted passages. But there are also large sections where I don't really have as many notes or highlighted passages. The book of Philippians in my Bible is completely covered in notes. The book of Haggai has hardly any. For every Isaiah 53, which is completely covered in highlights and notes, there's another passage which, I must confess again, I'm not so familiar with. For me as a Christian, this is a shame. Even if I were not a Christian, it would be a shame. Any large collection of literature is worth studying and reading in its entirety. The Bible is full of different genres, authors, styles and messages, and reading through some of the perhaps less well-known parts of the New Testament this Lent has given me a renewed desire to read some more parts that deserve to see the light a bit more often, as it were. So this week, I'd like to go through some of these parts that I don't know so well, and that are perhaps a little bit unknown to others, and share a bit about them and maybe see if I can help people and myself to be able to read and enjoy them as much. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back tomorrow. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for bearing with me yesterday through what was, in effect, a long introduction to today's thought for the day. Did you know that of the 66 books of the Bible, only two of them are named after women? Today, I'd like to start my journey through what some think is the lesser-known parts of the Bible with the book of Ruth. Ruth is a remarkable book. It's one of the history books which tell the story of Israel after the death of Moses. We don't know who the author was, but the book is set at the time of the judges and tells the story of one family and their struggle to survive. It begins with a married couple called Elimelech and Naomi, who alongside their two sons take refuge in a place called Moab. Traditionally, Moab was an enemy of Israel, and there was a lot of enmity between the two peoples. But as there was a famine in Israel, the family decided to leave to find food and sustenance. The two sons married women from Moab called Ruth and Orpah, but Elimelech and his two sons died, leaving Naomi, Ruth and Orpah widowed. Now, this was an awful state to be in in those days, and Naomi decided to return to Israel. She gave Orpah and Ruth the choice, either to stay or to come. She told them that if they went back, it would be difficult. Orpah decided to stay, but Ruth decided to go back to Bethlehem with Naomi. When she was there, Ruth tried to help Naomi by scrabbling in what was left behind by those harvesting the grain. Eventually, Ruth would meet 
and fall in love with Boaz. He was a relative of Elimelech, and he was able to redeem, to help save Naomi from her difficult state, and he married Ruth. They would go on to have a son called Obed, who in turn would have a son called Jesse, who would have a son called David. David, in turn, of course, would eventually have an ancestor, a descendant, sorry, called Jesus. Ruth's an important book of the Bible. It says that Ruth's love for her mother-in-law was enough to inspire Boaz to help save them from their difficult situation, and it shows the blossoming relationship between the two. Perhaps the most important part of the story of Ruth comes from her background. Several times in the book, she's referred to as Ruth the Moabitess, and the author wants us to remember that she was a Moabitess, a woman who would have been hated and despised by many in Israel. But Ruth loved Naomi, and that's why she went back, knowing that she would be despised. Ruth's goodness and love shined through, and she is a prime example of how being a part of the story God wants to tell has nothing to do with your background or nationality. God's love and God's kingdom are for everyone. From this woman would eventually come Jesus, the ultimate proof that God loves everyone. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back again tomorrow. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all well. Do you ever think about those things that we sometimes just have to say? You get in a taxi and you look to the taxi driver and say, being busy? Or when you see a young police officer and you have to say, what are they, about 12? Or every time you're in a restaurant, remember the times we could go to restaurants and someone would drop a plate and everyone would go, way? Well, you see, if you're a Christian, one of those things you have to say is, did you know that it's the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention God? whenever anyone mentions the book of Esther. Esther is, indeed, the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God, but God is woven through all of the pages of Esther. Now, like the book of Ruth, we don't know who wrote the book of Esther, but it was probably a Jew living in Persia, and it was probably written about 460 BC. And it tells the story of a young Jewish woman who went on to become queen of Persia, and who rescues the Jews after a plot is discovered to kill them all. When the plot is discovered, when the plot to kill all the Jews is discovered, Esther has to make a bold and incredibly brave decision. You see, she was not allowed to approach the king unless he sent for her. But she is told that perhaps she has been given her position in life for such a time as this. And she is bold enough to try and get the king's attention. In being brave and selfless, Esther is able to bring to light the evil plot and to allow the salvation of her people. It's a truly exciting story, and it's well worth reading. And despite the fact that God is not specifically named, it's clear to the reader that he is there working through everything that Esther does and everything that Esther manages to achieve. The themes of the book of Esther include the themes of liberation and justice for the oppressed. And it's these that make Esther a remarkable book, and one with an amazing amount of relevance for the modern world. See, that's the amazing thing. This old history book shows us that no matter what, there's always something we can do. There are always people in danger, and we can all make choices to help or to ignore. Also, it shows that God is always at work. And even when we cannot see him, when we cannot feel him, when we cannot feel his presence, he's still working for us and with us. God doesn't sleep, and he doesn't do a half-baked job, and he never will. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back tomorrow with another thought for the day. Good morning, everyone.
Thank you for listening to me this week, and I hope you're all having a good week. And, and once again, thanks to Nevis Radio for letting me share my thoughts. Now, today I'm going to cheat a little bit. The book of the Bible I want to talk about isn't particularly unknown. In fact, I would say it contains one of the most well-known stories of the Bible. But I know from my own experience that the rest of it, the rest of the book, is not particularly well-known. The book of Daniel was written by the prophet Daniel in the 6th century BC, and it contains two stories that are very well-known. There's the stories of Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and then, of course, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Now, unlike Ruth and Esther, which are both history books, the book of Daniel is a strange book. It's a mixture. Much of it is a narrative. Much of it is a history book, which tells the story of a group of Jews who were in exile in Babylon. And it works through the reigns of three great kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar and Darius. And it tells the struggles of the Jewish people trying to keep their faith and integrity in a world that was trying to change them. But the rest of the book, though, is a collection of dreams and prophecies which tell of God's plan deep into the future. They predict all sorts of historical events, as well as the coming of the Messiah, and also the ultimate redemption of the world with the second coming. Daniel's a wonderful book, which is full of adventure and excitement. It has inspiring tales, as well as deep, meaningful passages, which help tell the story of God and how he works. For me, currently, one of the main themes, and most relevant themes to me, is that Daniel and his friends were able to keep their integrity in a world that was changing all around them. They never gave in to things that they thought were wrong. Sometimes we might feel that we are under enormous pressure to change what we believe in, to conform to ideas that others want us to conform to. Daniel is an example, an excellent example of what to do. Daniel lived in difficult times, times where he found his faith and his beliefs coming under an awful lot of pressure, but he never wavered. And ultimately his courage changed the society around him. And I think this is an excellent example to follow. Good morning, everyone. I hope your week is going well. I want to say thank you for listening to me this week. Now, today was a difficult thought for the day to write. There are 66 books in the Bible, and there are many which would fit my description of not as well known as the others. In the end, I went to what is probably the least read book of the Bible. The reason why this was so difficult to choose was because the book, the Book of Lamentations, is a very depressing book. One of the most hopeless and difficult passages of Scripture. We don't know who wrote the book, but scholars think it was the prophet Jeremiah. Now, the book named after him has some difficult passages, but Lamentations takes the biscuit. It's a series of poems which get worse as you go along. They were written at a time when Jerusalem was descending into chaos and defeat. The poems themselves are acrostic poems, with each verse beginning with the next letter of the alphabet. Scholars think this is important because the acrostics signify completeness, that in writing from A to Z, as it were, the writer is signifying the completeness of the people's suffering. Perhaps the worst part of the book is when Jeremiah begins to worry that not only are they being defeated, but that God might actually not be on their side. All seems to have been lost, and God seems to have turned his back on them. But in the midst of all this depression and despair, Jeremiah is reminded that God has not turned his back on them. He knows that one day God will make it all right again. He will build up his city and his people again. There is hope among the rubble. As the book of Lamentations says, 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations, then, is another book which has a remarkable relevance for today. People are despairing and in difficulties, and sometimes it seems that all is lost. But it isn't. There is hope. For Christians, this hope is found in God, and God never stops loving us, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back on Sunday with perhaps the most misunderstood book of the Bible. Good morning, everyone. I hope you had a lovely Saturday and having a nice relaxing Sunday morning. When I was at university in Aberystwyth, I went to the local Anglican church. It was a great church. They had a free minibus to take us from the campus on the top of the hill, down to town and back, and they often matched students with local families, so there was always the chance of a Sunday dinner. I remember popping in there one day in the summer, and I noticed a new sign in the bookshop area. It read, This church is protected by Holy Trinity security, and they know where you live. I was thinking about this the other day when I was reading the book of Revelation. Because the words, I know where you live, are part of one of the messages from Jesus recorded in the early chapters of this enigmatic and very misunderstood Bible book. The book of Revelation tells the story of a dream, a vision, that the author John has, which talks about the end of the world and the second coming of Jesus. At the time it was written, Christians were experiencing terrible persecution in the Roman Empire. And a large part of Revelation deals with this and talks about how God will redeem his people and how God will restore them and God will meet, will deal out his justice. Now the book of Revelation is actually quite well known in society. There are things in it which lots of people know about, Armageddon, the mark of the beast, and so on. And these are things which um, sometimes seep into popular culture in movies and books and so on. But in reality, the book is quite impenetrable, and no one can be certain about what most of it means. Does it have any relevance for the modern world? Now, that's an interesting question. Lots of what some would describe as fringe Christians think that we're living in the times it describes. The beast and the punishments from God, etc., are being lived large in the modern world. Most Christians are a bit more conservative on this. They don't know. The Bible makes it clear we won't know when Jesus is coming back. Now, that doesn't mean there's no relevance, though. You see, this book is much like the book of Lamentations I discussed on Friday. There is hope in the darkest of times. Revelation shares some horrible visions of what is to come. Death and destruction, fear and disease will ravage the world. And of course, we know in recent history, quite often has. But at the end of the book of Revelation, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. At the end of all things, God will make it right. You see, this is the ultimate hope we have. This world portrays our struggle as being one of good against evil, and it is a fair fight, and we don't know who wins. That's not true. I've read to the end of the book, I've read to the end of Revelation, and it says that good wins, and God wins. 
Thank you so much for listening to me this week, and I would like to take this opportunity to once again thank Nevis Radio for letting us do Thought for the Day, and also to wish you all a very happy Easter. <laughs>